Welcome on in to the Not Dead Yet podcast, powered by Mechanical Hub Media. I'm your host, John Mason Brink. I'm here with my co-host, Tim Ward. Tim, how you doing, buddy? Johnny, I'm doing well. How are you today? Anything new on your end? Not really, not really. I know you uh, have a gripe with me about uh, fantasy football, so damn get it off your chest, buddy. Yeah, these damn fantasy football. I, w- I told myself I was going to play fantasy football this year. One weekend, you have somebody drop out of your league. You call me up. You're like, hey, can you take over this team? I'm like, sure. Not a bad team. Not a great team. Not a bad team. But I'm 0-3. None of my players want to play the way I want them to. I can't coach them up. I've tried. I just feel defeated like my team. Well, Tim, as you know, my 12-year-old son plays. And we had the head-to-head matchup this past weekend. And before we... Well, before we even played, I said, you got the choice. If you beat me, you will be grounded for a week, or I will, um, I'll give you the choice of just letting me beat you and you won't be grounded. And God damn it. He beat me. So he's, he's grounded for a week. So I play, I play Aiden next week. I should give Aiden a call and make a similar. (laughs) Yeah. Luckily, we've got some pretty decent teams. I mean, the Bears are playing well. I know they've got a quarterback dilemma, but Foles is playing. Uh, the Packers are playing well. My Rams, ouch, this last week hurt. They took yeah. one on the chin in Buffalo. but hey, they um, came back and made it a game at least. Yeah, they did. And then Kansas City. I'm also a Chiefs fan, so fun watching the Chiefs play last night. But nice to talk a little bit of sports. And in fact, I think our guest has a little bit to do with sports as well. Well, we are excited for our next guest. This gold medal Paralympian tells us the story of overcoming adversity as she lost her leg in a terrible boating accident. This multi-medal winner struck gold in the 2016 Paralympic Games in Rio de Janeiro. She is currently the environmental sustainability specialist for the city of Champaign, Illinois which she manages the city of Champaign's recycling program. Welcome to the show, Nicole Millage. Nicole, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, welcome, yeah. Nicole. I, As John mentioned, you are a Paralympian athlete. You're a three-time medal winner, including a gold medal in 2016. So you, you've worn the red, white, and blue for the USA and won multiple medals in the last three Olympian, Paralympian Games. How cool is that? I mean, really, how cool is that? Um, well, on a scale of one to 10, you know, it's about a hundred, but, uh, I don't know. It's super cool to answer your question, but yeah, it's definitely, you know, the thing that I'm most proud of in my whole life for sure. Well, as an Olympic athlete and you've won a medal, you get to go to the white house, you get to meet the president Give us a little behind the scenes, what it's like to go to the White House, to meet the president, and then tell us if you accidentally took anything with the seal of the president on it. (laughs) Yeah, I actually have a pretty good story about the White House. Um, I did not steal anything, you know, but I did get to meet the president, um, which was, you know, Obama at the time. It was pretty cool because normally when they do White House visits after, you know, an Olympic and Paralympic Games, you get to go to the White House and meet the president. And so, you know, we went for a weekend and it's just kind of like a big drunken weekend, to be honest with you. 
Um, everybody just kind of goes for it and parties and has a good time. And then you have to get up at like seven in the morning and go to the white house. It's- so Obama's partying with you the night before. <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> um, yeah. He, he was probably busy doing something important, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a fun time. They have like an award show and everything. They, they had the first team USA awards in 2016 and our team actually won best Paralympic team of that year. So, you know, of the games. So that was really cool. So, um, so yeah, you go to the white house on no sleep whatsoever. And normally it's like on the front lawn and, you know, they have a big, you know, he gives a big speech and everything, but it was raining that day. So we were all packed inside the white house and it's not like nearly as big as you think it's going to be. First of all, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it, I have not. Yeah. I've been to the. I've not been inside. I've walked around the outside a couple of times. Well, it's pretty. It's pretty small, unless we just like weren't in an important part. I don't know, but <laughs> so everyone finally gets in line to like go through, and you got to, you got to meet President, you got to meet um, Michelle Obama, and we also got to meet Joe Biden. So as soon as I'm getting like closer to you know, the president, I was like, what am I going to say? Like, I didn't even think about what I was going to say when I meet the president. Mm-hmm. And so, um, once I got up to him though, I was like shaking and I was sweating and I started shaking the metal because the metals have beads in them. So the metals have beads in them for the vision impaired athlete athletes in the Paralympics. So gold medal has, well, that was actually my story to him. I was like, did you know that the metal that, that they have beads inside of them? And he was like, no, I didn't know that. Tell me more. And I was like, <laughs> and he's like, he's still shaking my hand. And so I'm like, words. Okay. How do I do this? I'm actually getting nervous just thinking about how I did this, but. <laughs> hey, uh, I saw, I saw a picture that Tim had sent over and you, you were shaking hands with them. You look pretty composed in that picture. So, Oh, well that, yeah, no, it was a fake, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I just told him about how the different metals have different amount of beads in them. So the gold medal has the most amount of beads. The silver has a little less, and then the bronze has a little less. So when they shake them, they can tell the difference. And there's also braille on them as well. So that also helps, <laughs> but mm-hmm. Um, so that was like pretty cool. And I got to tell the president, you know, a story I got to tell him about something he didn't know about. So, well, that's pretty cool. Now, now you mentioned your team and we haven't really talked about what you, what kind of athlete, uh, you are. Can you give us a little bit of background on what sport you play and, and a little bit about your disability and kind of how that disability played a major part of your life? Yeah, of course. Um, When I was 21 years old, um, this was back in 1998, I was in a boating accident. I was on the front of the boat. It was like a closed bow boat. And myself and another um, gentleman were on the front of it. And the driver who was intoxicated made the choice that he wanted to kind of um, gun the boat, you know, the gas and go faster and turn sharply to throw us off on purpose. Oh my God. So, yeah. So obviously like nothing good can come of that. So when we went over the front of the boat, uh, the propeller ran over us. So the propeller caught my left hand and it caught my left foot. And the other guy that fell over, unfortunately his 
it was a lot more severe for him. His cut was on his neck and his back. And so he didn't end up surviving that. But I had a pretty good cut on my left hand, like I said, and my foot um, eventually had to be um, uh, amputated at the hospital because the cut was so bad. So, I mean, obviously I was lucky to even be alive um, in that moment, but, you know, being an amputee was something that I didn't know anything about, obviously, at that time, you know, I had very little awareness about that. So, so yeah, there was a lot of learning curve with getting a prosthetic and wanting to get back to playing sports. And in high school, I played fast pitch softball and I played volleyball and I always loved sports. So it was really hard for me to kind of sit on the sidelines and watch everyone play while I recovered. So I had to have, you know, multiple surgeries on my hand to kind of put it back together. And um, eventually, though, I got back out there. And in 2004, I found the USA National Women's Sitting Volleyball Team. And so I don't know if you guys have ever seen sitting volleyball, but I mean, I hope Tim has at this point, but I have, I have, Um, but the court is smaller. The net is lower. So it's more like maybe like a tennis court size net. Um, And you play sitting on your bottom and you move around using whatever appendages that you do have. And I don't play with my prosthetic on because it would actually be harder to play with it on. And so when you make contact with the ball, your bottom has to be on the floor and you just, it's a very fast paced game. And, and when I first was introduced to it in 2004, I was like, this is crazy. I was like, how do you do this? Like, you know, I went to my first training camp and my butt was so sore that I literally like couldn't even sit on the bed that night. It hurt so bad, but Mm -hmm. just being like introduced (laughs) to, (laughs) All the different girls that were already doing it, um, all of them had, you know, some kind of disability, either being born that way or in some kind of accident like myself. Just being around a group of girls that was just like me, though, was a first for me. And it was, you know, it was something that I was like, yeah, I could just tell it was going to be, you know, a big thing that was going to be in my life moving forward. So I listened to your your story and I hear about the the physical you know, limitation, but it, it's got to take a lot of mental toughness to get through all of this. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, how, it, how you yeah. kind of, kind of struggled through or, you know, fought your way through the, the adversity. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everybody's story is different, obviously, and everybody's, um, you know, injury is different. And luckily I still had a lot of my leg underneath my knee. So it was easier to get fit for prosthesis, but also in 1998 prosthesis were like crap then. So Mm -hmm. that part was probably the hardest part for me out of anything was um, the drain that that took on me trying to get a leg made and, you know, get it to fit right. And you have to spend hours at the prosthetist and there was nobody here that I could go to at the time. So I had to drive to Effingham, which is, you know, a good hour and 15 minute drive every time. And so that definitely took a mental toll on me. I did not like doing that. This was like a distraction. I was 21 years old trying to like start life out. And instead I had to like focus on rehabilitation and, 
um, you know, getting a prosthetic and just like all of these new things that I never imagined for my life. So it definitely, you know, took a toll mentally, but I had so much family support and friends and, you know, the community around me really came together and everyone took care of me. I mean, at one point I had two casts, you know, on both my hands and I had a cast on my leg and I couldn't even literally like go to the bathroom by myself. So, <laughs> so that is definitely like, you know, a humble moment in your life when you have to rely on other people, but just having other people take care of me, my friends would take turns going to the um, prosthetist with me and just hanging out just so I wasn't bored. And just so, you know, I didn't go crazy, but, um, so yeah, it was a, it was a rough first couple of years, but you know, once I got the hang of it and, and moved on with life, it was, you know, it was a lot easier. And like I said, everybody has a different kind of injury or disability. So there's people that have it a lot, you know, more rough than I do. There's people, there's people on my team that are missing their leg, like all the way up to their hip. And basically they tell me that I'm not even disabled. So I can't Mm -hmm. complain. (laughs) So, which is understandable because that would be, it's a lot harder to deal with that. So, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a tough journey for sure, but I, it also made me very determined to like get back out there and to play sports and to kind of like prove to everybody that I could do it. I was just going to ask that and maybe naive on my part, but it, it might've given you more focus in your life at that point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it, it definitely did. I mean, it was kind of like a cool factor in a way, you know, it was like, I wanted to prove it to myself and I wanted to prove it to other people. You know, it only took a year or two when I was back out there playing softball and, you know, just running really well. And volleyball was a a lot harder because I couldn't jump the way that I used to. So um, that was a lot more challenging. And then that was the cool part about finding sitting volleyball, you know, a few years later down the road is that it was an adaptive sport. Perfect for me. It's so much fun to me that now like standing, I don't even want anything to do with standing volleyball. Like I'm all about sitting volleyball. I love it. And I want to, you know, I try to teach people how to play. My friends will get out and play with me here sometimes. And they tell me that I'm mean and a little bossy, but whatever. (laughs) Well, you know, talking about some of the challenges and, and how sports was really something that motivated you as you were going through rehabilitation, I, so during COVID, obviously we've had a lot of downtime. I work from home. My wife works from home. And one of the things that we've done, like I'm sure millions of people is watch a lot of Netflix, Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently watched rising Phoenix, which if you've not seen it, I'm in the audience, go watch rising Phoenix on Netflix. It's traces the history of the Paralympic games, um, which as I recall started because of, trying to rehabilitate veterans following World War II. And it goes about how it's grown and how it, it millions and millions of people see it every four years and gives it the historical rundown. But it also profiles a lot of Paralympians. I, Nicole, I, I know you and I talked about this. You've seen it. I mean, you know these athletes. When you watched it, what – what went through your mind knowing that not only are you a gold medal winner and a multiple medal winner, but you're seeing some of the faces of athletes. I mean, they've been on SI. I mean, what did you think of when you saw rising Phoenix? Well, 
I was just obviously super excited. I could not wait for that to come out on Netflix and I told everybody about it. But it was so cool to me because I kept having to remind myself that I'm one of them, you know, like this is this is me also. And you know, the stories were so much fun to watch because some of them I knew, some of them I didn't know, you know, and every like I said everybody has their own journey to get to that point. But it was so exciting. I probably annoyed my friend when we were watching it because I kept going, Oh, look that I've been there that I was there. I did that, you know, like for every single thing, because, you know, I've been, I've been to the 2008, the 2012 and the 2016 Paralympics. So they really highlighted the last three um, Paralympics in that, in that movie. So it was it was just so much fun to watch it. I was like, finally a movie about us and mm-hmm. you know what we're doing. And um, everybody that has told me that they've watched it just said how much they loved it. And it even made them cry. And um, especially seeing BB story um, till the very end, I was like, what a badass!" I was like, she is so cool. Well, it's, it's certainly a moving documentary. And I, like I said, if you've not seen it, go watch it. One of the athletes, um, that's profiled is someone you know pretty well, I think. Ta- uh, Tatiana McFadden, she's kind of the face of the U.S. Paralympian. How is somebody like that who's from your local, from your hometown, how is someone like that, if you've trained with her, or how does that motivate you or athletes in general to train? Yeah, so Tatiana is obviously a great athlete. I mean, and she is the face of the Paralympics for sure. She's got a really good manager, <laughs> but <laughs> but she's also so accomplished. She's won so many medals. Um, her story is also really fascinating, which if you watch Rising Phoenix, you'll get to see her sto- whole story of being adopted from Russia. So yeah, it's really cool. And I, I cross paths with her a lot because she trains and, you know, at times lives here in Champaign. And so, um, you know, the U of I will do something for the Paralympic athletes around here, and then I'll get invited as well. And, you know, I've got a good 10 plus years on most of the um, Paralympic athletes around here. So they're usually super confused about who I am. They think I'm a coach or something. (laughs) That's just a comp. I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But yeah, so I have crossed paths with her and she's, uh, you know, she's very shy and, you know, but it's just so fun to watch how, how far she's come and how uh, well she, that she's done. So, you know, and just to be part of the same community of her at, you know, as well is pretty cool as well. So you mentioned coaching. Is that something you're interested in doing up, up the road? People ask me that all the time and <laughs> and it's a fair question for sure. I was planning on retiring after the 2020 Tokyo Paralympic Games. I was assuming I made the roster, I was assuming I got to go, everything. So we haven't been together as a team since the beginning of March. So everything got put on hold and now my career's been like, you know, extended for another year that I wasn't anticipating, but I, you know, I have the goal of making, you know, one more Paralympics. I want to really badly. I would love to end my career on that. Of course, every year that goes by, I'm not getting any younger, but, (laughs) and I mean, I'm 43 now and, you know, a lot of athletes don't get to play, you know, that late in life. And now I totally understand why, but, um, but yeah, I feel like I have one more year left in me. So 
after that year, though, I can see myself still being involved with my team in some way, you know, helping out, doing whatever. You know, there's no sitting volleyball clubs or leagues in the U.S. There's basically, you know, just our teams. And so that's different in a lot of other countries. They have clubs and they have leagues, but that just hasn't happened here yet. So that long-winded story was basically... I'm not sure if I would do that because you have to dedicate just as much time. And I'm looking forward to kind of retiring and then having time to do other things in life. Mm-hmm. Sure. You mentioned the University of Illinois being in your backyard. Are, are there a lot of resources for athletes like yourself at the university because they have the resources? I Obviously, Tatiana has a connection to the U of I as well. And I, I believe they've got a pretty strong support system at the U of I. I'm Maybe you can share a little bit of that with us. Yeah, they do definitely have good training facilities there. Um, A lot of the athletes that are there, though, are uh, wheelchair racers or track and field, or um, there's even wheelchair basketball. So there isn't a specific uh, training court or anything available for sitting volleyball. You know, I got the YMCA to kind of sponsor me in this last year. And so I can go out there and I can do things because training at home by myself is, it's not fun. And it's, it's hard to do because, you know, how do you train for a sport that nobody else plays around you? And, you know, you don't necessarily have the net, the right net or the right court space. So it can be challenging for sure. But when I'm not trying to train at home, We have um, training camps in Edmond, Oklahoma, um, typically like once a month. So we're doing something as a team once a month, whether it's training or going to a tournament or something. So if you're, I lived in Edmond, Oklahoma for six years of my life between 2007 and 2012. And so that's where my game really got good because I could focus and train every single day. And I just can't do that when I'm here living at home. But after the 2016 games, though, I was ready to kind of move on from being there. And I had graduated and got my bachelor's and got my master's in business. So I was kind of ready to move on from uh, living there in Oklahoma. And that's when I came back home. You had mentioned um, Tatiana McFadden and, you know, she's the face of uh, Paralympics. And you also talked about the possibility of you getting into coaching, but do you consider yourself a role model for the younger athletes, young girls? I I mean, I guess I do. I, you know, when I watched Rising Phoenix, I felt myself watching these stories and being very inspired. And so when, you know, when people hear my story or, you know, they've read about what I do, they you know, that's always kind of the first thing people say is like, Oh, I'm so inspired by you. And it's a weird thing to hear about yourself, because you're just kind of like living life and, you know, doing your thing. And, but at the same time, if I can inspire people, or if I can be a role model, then I don't see, you know, that's, to me, that's a great thing. There's a lot of times where I'll go to schools here, and I'll talk to little kids, or even high schools and talk to them. And, you know, if it gives them something to look up to, and if everything that I went to can lead me to that point where it does inspire somebody, or, you know, it does cause me to be a role model, then I'm all about that, you know, use my story to try to, you know, to learn from that. 
That's awesome. That really is. That's awesome. So the Tokyo 2021, which in and of itself sounds strange to me. Yeah. It's not. It's an. It's an odd year, Tim. 2021. It is. It is. But the the Paralympic 2021 Paralympic Games are less than a year away, and you said you you you're thinking of training for this and giving it one last shot. Yeah. Um, actually, the one the cool thing about Tokyo 2021 is that they're still using like Tokyo 2020, and then they just put the NE at the end of it. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, kind of like the big eleven, twelve. What is it, Tim? Big twelve, big ten, yeah, big, big everything. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. But um, yeah, so so yeah, I am, and like you know, because of COVID though, I like I said, we haven't seen each other since March, and every month since July, we've had a conversation as a team about whether we felt comfortable coming in to have you know weekend long training camp all together, and. Um, Every month, you know, it's like, well, I just don't think we're there yet. It seems like COVID cases are going up. <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. it just didn't quite make sense. But um, I think, though, we're going to get together in October in like less than a month for the first time. And uh, that'll be great just because if anything, it'd be great to see my team and be around everybody again in person. And I don't know how much we're actually going to get to play. But, you know, in March, we were on that ramp up to train, you know, to the Paralympics. So we were at a point where, you know, we were ramping everything up and then we just like played balls out all the time. And so it was like, all of that was just like stopped and it's almost like you're Mm -hmm. back to square one. (laughs) So, so I I assume there's women from all over the the country. mm -hmm. Where do you train Mm -hmm. when you get together? Yeah. So that's correct. Like everybody's from all over Edmond, Oklahoma is the main training site. So yeah, that's where, um, that's where they host us. They have resident apartments there for people that do want to live there full time and train full time. So when we do have like a normal, typical training camp, you know, I'll go to, um, Oklahoma from like a Thursday through Sunday, but we have lots of other tournaments that we do like over in the Netherlands. And that's the hard part is that when you want to play against another team, they have to come very far. Or we have to go very far. <laughs> You've traveled all over. What, what's your favorite place so far? It's so weird that <laughs> I don't know if I really have a favorite, but there's places that I definitely enjoy. Like I just mentioned the Netherlands, like I like going there. It's, like familiar to me now because I've been there so many times, but it's just kind of so laid back and it's beautiful and they're really good host. But after the, um, the London Paralympic games, which London is like the one place that I barely got to see. Like if we go to a tournament somewhere, they always kind of show us around or we get to see like, you know, we've been to the great wall, we've been to the pyramids, but we went to London and I didn't get to see anything, which was really sad. That stinks. I know it did stink. My parents saw everything. I saw nothing. After uh, London, though, my best friend on the team, we went to um, Paris and we went to Italy, and that was really cool. That was a lot of fun. So, what's the next hurdle for uh, Paralympian athletes? What issues need more attention? Uh, Everything. (laughs) No. Um, 
I would say that in the, you know, past 15 years that I've been playing, it's come so far. Like, you know, the fact that they made this movie rising Phoenix, you know, just, you know, they're giving it more of a spotlight and, and that feels good. I mean, we're not there yet at all because if you, if you watch the Olympics and let's say you watch the today show and they just are all about the Olympics and then two weeks later, when the Paralympics start, they barely mention the Paralympics. Yeah. So that, you know, that's, that's tough because it's, you know, it's the second or third largest sporting event in the entire world. And it's like they're exhausted from the Olympics and they're like over it. And they just don't, you know, highlight the Paralympics the way that they should, in my opinion. So Um, But one of the biggest things that happened over the past um, year or two was that they decided on equal pay for the um, medal awards that you get. So if you win a medal, you also, it also comes with a paycheck. And in Rio, when we won a gold medal, we won $5,000, but Olympic athletes were winning $25,000. So it's obviously a huge difference. Um, one of my teammates spearheaded, you know, the campaign to change that and to make equal pay for all athletes and was successful. So. Well, that that's awesome. It, it should yeah. be that way. Exactly. Exactly. They had a lot of, you know, good arguments on why it should be that way. We're training just as hard. We're dedicating and sacrificing just as much. And, mm-hmm. you know, if there might not be as much money on the Paralympic side, but how do you expect to get there if you don't put money towards it? And, you know, the debate could go on and on. And they also raised the um, amount of money that you'll get for a medal. So if you win a gold medal in Tokyo, you get $37,500. And that's not too shabby. Yeah. <laughs> There's a good reason to try to make the 2021 Olympic team. I mean, who are you telling? Okay. <laughs> I put in 15 years and that would be like a really great way to end the career <laughs> here's your gold watch and a gold medal and thirty th- thirty seven thousand dollars yeah i mean i mean i think i would be silly to not try to finish off that way <laughs> so when you're not being a badass on the court <laughs> you're also an employee for the city of champaign illinois what what do you do for the city so as you said earlier which was a mouthful on the environmental sustainability specialist so that doesn't even fit on a business card does it barely yeah Um, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah they changed the title i mean i'm essentially the recycling coordinator for the city and -hmm. then they changed it and they made it a little bit more fancy but you know i oversee our multifamily recycling program and i also um, help host, you know, different recycling events. And, you know, like we have an electronics collection coming up next month that I've been getting ready for. So um, I kind of fell into that position at the city because I started there as a temporary employee and I was kind of working on whatever projects that they had going on, which coincidentally at the time was an ADA transition plan. So it was kind of to bring up some of the things in the city up to code with current ADA regulations. So that was a cool thing to kind of work on when I started working there. And then about six months into the position, the recycling coordinator left the city. So they needed someone to fill in and I started doing it. And, you know, I've always been into recycling and sustainability. 
I just, you know, I didn't necessarily see my career going that way. But once I started doing it and getting that experience, I loved it. And I didn't want to do anything else different at the city. So I've been doing that ever since for about the past seven years now. Has uh, COVID changed anything with the recycling programs in the community? Uh, Absolutely. Right. When this all went down in March, you know, we were gearing up to have a household hazardous waste collection and um, our spring electronics collection. And after like months and months of planning, I had to cancel everything. And uh, that was super frustrating. I mean, who could have anticipated the way everything was going to go down in March? So yeah, so that definitely kind of sucked that we had to cancel those events because people wait a long time for them and they get their stuff ready and they're excited about them. Like I said, though, we're, are, we are going to host our fall event. You know, we got the go ahead to do that. And so I'm excited to do that. And during COVID, people have definitely been cleaning out their houses and I'm sure you guys have as well. And um, mm-hmm. so they have all kinds of stuff that they need to get rid of and recycle properly. But yeah, I think that recycling has definitely gone up in the city. I've seen with the numbers, you know, more people are recycling at home. So it's because more people are at home. But (laughs) what do you like to do in your free time with your spare time when you're not on the court and you're not at work? Any other hobbies that you enjoy doing? I actually have like a book club that I adore. And so I really like reading. About three years ago, my friend put together you know, this book club with different friends of hers that she thought would all um, enjoy it. And now, you know, it's just something that I absolutely love doing. I didn't even really start reading (laughs) books or novels till I was like in my Mm thirties. I just wasn't into it. (laughs) Any favorites that you can um, suggest to our audience? We read a lot of like murder mystery type books and stuff like that. So Harlan Coben always has good books. And we just read one called The Silent Patient, which was really good. So I highly recommend that. But I just enjoy that so much. Like I love reading books now and um, discussing them with them and just having like a group of women who, you know, you get along with so well and they don't, it's not, you know, inside your normal life. It's something that's like a bubble outside of your normal life. You talked a little bit about places you like to travel to. What is one thing people may not know about you? One thing that people probably don't know about me is that I actually, that I have a boyfriend. <laughs> so that was kept on the down low. Is that right? Or Yeah, I would say it's on the down low. It was a- <laughs> <laughs> Thousands uh, of audience members on our podcast <laughs> now know this. She's off the market. <laughs> well, uh, it's one of those things that popped up during COVID and it was surprising. And like, as much as this year has kind of sucked and everything that's been going down has been really difficult, there's been like one bright spot in it. And so mm-hmm. that's been pretty fun. Where did you two meet? Um, well, that's why it's on the download. <laughs> oh, okay. ah. That's on the next episode. <laughs> yeah, there's reasons why, but it's, it's all good. It's not too scandalous. And Things are going well, and it's been fun. And I haven't had a boyfriend in quite a few years, so, you know, that's a fun change. You work a lot. You're an Olympic athlete. You don't have time for men, probably. Exactly, yes. <laughs> so, But I've had nothing but time the last six months, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Everything is, is going well, it seems like, in your life, so. Yeah, I can't complain, that's for sure. 
Well, Tim, I always defer to you on this question. Tim? So, Nicole, we always end our interviews with the same question. When was the last time you said, today is a great day? I try to say that every day. (laughs) But it definitely has been um, more difficult lately. It's funny you say that because uh, we asked this question to everybody and people will say, well, you know, three weeks ago. Three, and I'm like, why? Last, why is last Saturday. Yeah. Like, why isn't it every day? Like you just said, there's got to be some time in every day that you're like, it might be a shitty day, but this was pretty cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's this whole way that everything has changed. Like I'm working from home, but I can go into work if I choose to do so. Um, depending on what I need to get done. So days that I just want to like kind of slowly get ready at home or wake up and get my coffee and read my book. It's so nice to not have to go into the office every day, like regular, you know, Mm -hmm. of course I'm still checking email and I'm still looking at things, but it's different, you know, when you're at home than when you're in the office. So there's been several days lately where I wake up and I'm like, this is a great day. And I'm like, because at the beginning of COVID, I didn't like it at all. And I just wanted normalcy back and I wanted routine. And now I just kind of like worked my way into a new routine. Have you have you adjusted well to working from home? I, I, I would say so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's it yeah. took a while to get there. But like I said, I kind of like this being able to decide what I want to do if I want to work from home, if I want to go in. Sometimes I'll go in if I need to just focus a little bit more or there's paperwork that I have there, things I need to print out that I can't do here. I don't know. And I keep in my mind, I keep going to Friday, which Friday was a really good day because I woke up and it was actually like the six six month anniversary of dating this guy, which was, you know, fun. And it was like something to look forward to. We're going to like make dinner and like hang out. And what's his name again? (laughs) (laughs) Nice try. It it was a super, super great day. And I hate to bring this up, but that's also the day that ended with RBG dying. So it went from being like super awesome day to like a super bummer of a day. Yeah. Solemn. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that was rough, but, um, you know, it started out good. Nicole Millage, your story is an inspiring one. Very much so. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. We really appreciate it. Have Good a luck day. next year in Tokyo. Thank you. Yes. Please make sure that you watch us and support us. And we're on Facebook, um, USA Women's National Sitting Volleyball Team. Well, thanks for joining us and thanks, have a great Nicole. day. Thank you so much. Join us next week as good friends Dan Foley, Foley Mechanical, and Jeff Riley, Cordron Manufacturers Rep, out of the Washington, D.C. area. Join the show. You don't want to miss it. The Not Dead Yet podcast is powered by Mechanical Up Media and produced by John Masonbrink and Tim Ward. It is edited by John Masonbrink. Music presented by Jason Drum and graphics furnished by Wayne Rowe. Thanks for listening, and until next week.